Welcome to Board Gamers Anonymous, a podcast about gamers and the insane fun we have at the table together. This is Anthony. This is Dan. This is Chris. This is Kim. Welcome to the episode. It's episode 21, our second episode here at Myriad Games on Staten Island. And this week we have a ridiculous number of games we're going to cover, but the big daddy of all, of course, is Caverna. Caverna, 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 Caverna. Yeah, see, because it's in a cave. Yeah. The echo. That's, you see what you did there. See what I did there? I like that. That was really smart, right? Yeah. Caverna, which you may have seen on the shelf for about eight minutes, and then you won't see again until March. But they will <laughs> yeah. be coming out again. Yep, and had a bit of a journey getting here. Was it cool stuff? And they're uh, yeah, it was. It, yeah, so a little bit. So kind of pre-ordered this way in advance, and it kind of sat in limbo somewhere, and then some European dungeon locked up, <laughs> and then uh, kind of like finally got sprung, and headed out here, and actually uh, picked up uh, Lost Legends at the same time. So. Going to get a chance to kind of open that up and see what that has in store. And un- unveiled, unpacked, dumped out, crushed the table with all the components. So we'll have a full review of that. And we'll also be able to talk about uh, Agricola and Agricola, all creatures big and small. Yes, this is the Uwe Rosenberg special. Minus, like, his other 42 games. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> These are the only ones that really matter. Come on, let's be honest. <laughs> this is the games that have 90% of the same meeples show. <laughs> yeah. Caverna, the extra special deep edition. The we're not going to be discounted online edition. <laughs> the oh my god, what is this game edition? <laughs> well, it was discounted online. It was only 80 bucks. Yeah, but well, it's... Well, 10 bucks. Yeah, it's the Mayday... Um, Mayfair. Yeah, Mayfair games. Their games are only 10% off online. That's why you'll never find Catan for less than like $32. Wow. Yeah. But, you know, meanwhile, if this was uh, Z-Man, it would be like, retail, 90 Our line price, 64 <laughs> so. Yeah. So, But that just tells you that the markup is not super high because you just look at the components you know that it must have cost a fortune to print this thing yeah some there's a small forest in germany that gets cut down every time they make one of these because the amount of cardboard and paper and just the wood meeples are just crazy yeah (laughs) i think you were pulling it out when we were recording last time it was just this pile of stuff like hey we'll punch this later that day we're still (laughs) punching this (laughs) yeah so that will be the feature review. Uh, I promise it won't take as long to discuss as it does to play. But, uh, That's true. This will be a five-hour podcast. Yeah, we're going to take you through it really quick and just kind of hit the highlights for you. So if you're an experienced player, you want to check this out. If you're a new player to um, the Uwe Rosenberg kind of catalog, you'll get enough feel for this game that you'll know that if you want to jump into this or not. Yeah, definitely. So that'll be cool. And Dan, you got at the, the other giant game that hasn't been played recently, right? Terra Mystica? Yeah, Kim uh, Kim was looking at Terra Mystica, so we finally uh, you know, unwrapped it, broke it out, played a few games of it, and it is definitely cool. Yeah, so I was like, actually a good girlfriend because I <laughs> saw a bunch of videos, read the rule book, wrote, took down notes, and then I was like, yeah, I'm ready to do this. So That's awesome, because <laughs> that game would never hit the table otherwise. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you want to sit and read this book with me for three hours? Well, because now we've been just, like, rolling a D20 to see what game we should unwrap and start playing next, so it's, you know, <laughs> it's nice that when somebody actually wants that game to be the one that's played. Yeah, that's cool. So, awesome. Uh, it's January. There's not a ton of news. Um, you know, there's a few games, obviously, coming out. There's a few things on the horizon, but it's not, like, June or May news with all the conventions coming up. Yeah. But uh, I did see one thing in the news, and Chris, me and you are going to have to have a couple of fights in the near future, because Jungle Elves. Jungle and Elves! Summoner Wars will play that game and nice. their second summoner. Nice. So, um, so I'm hoping that she doesn't have ridiculous units where it's like, oh, move seven spaces, and you can shoot from ten away. That's that my ju- Jungle Elves. The Jungle Elves are ridiculous. But, um, and the other second summoner is going to be the Cloaks. Nice. And I'm looking forward to that. Um, 
Anthony, you may remember our infamous game of where I got to attack you with like seven dice and somehow you, <laughs> with one hit point, you survived. But the cloaks are like one of my favorite factions because they have a lot, they're like basically almost like all rogues. And they have a lot of interesting mechanics as is. So I can't wait to see where they go with the second summoner of the cloaks. I'm wondering if they're going to kind of make it like a rival of the first summoner or if it's going to be more of the same. So they haven't announced any cards or anything yet, but I'm definitely staying tuned. I'm looking forward to those two sets coming out. Yeah, that'd be cool. It take forever to play test those, though. So who knows when they'll actually hit? Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, Playtight Games does a good job of like noting all the stuff out there, and they even let you know like custom deck ideas before the set even comes out. Yeah. So once they come out, you're ready. It's just waiting for that day is the problem. Yeah. Yeah. So who knows? Sometime this spring, probably, we'll have new uh, second summoners. But. And uh, one other thing I did see in the news that I thought was awesome, Fantasy Flight Games, they're having, they, you know, release those lieutenant packs. They have more of those on the way. But in, I believe it's the Layer of the Worm, there's two characters the groups meet, and they can either, based on their choices, make a friend or an enemy out of these people. The lieutenant packs for those two sets are going to have two sculpts of the characters. One is going to be a player version where if the group allies with them, they can actually use it as a player character in their descent campaign. Awesome. So it has a character card and a good sculpt. <clears throat> the other one is the villainous version, and it has all the overlord cards and special abilities for when you make it an enemy. Nice. So that's pretty cool that they have the dual sculpts and everything else. They're doing that with two of the different guys. That should definitely be fun. I want to get more of the descent campaign going on so we can get to that point. Yeah, you got to at some point. You got to make that investment worth it. Yeah, because I love that game. It's just, you know, I still haven't gotten it out for you guys yet. And uh, it, it's definitely cool that they're doing ideas yeah. like this. Yeah, we have to designate like a Terranoth month. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Every game this month will be in this universe. Period. Acquisition Disorder Corner. All right, anything hot coming out that you guys are interested in? Um, the other night, uh, a couple of my friends that aren't like super Euro gamers or whatever. They came by, and one of the guys here, Vin, set up Spartacus. So that was their first time playing a game like that, and they absolutely loved it. So I went online, I put in an order for Spartacus and the expansion, and when I was looking at the uh, the shopping cart, still need like another 52 bucks for uh, the free shipping. So I canceled the battle lore from the Yu-Gi-Oh order and put it into this cart. <laughs> You know, because, I mean, shipping is important, so... Yeah, gotta have shipping. So that'll be on the way soon. But Spartacus was... Uh, it's a great buy. I mean, for... I think the game and the expansion online was only about 43 bucks. So I'm really happy that I'm going to finally have that. And it's a game that, if you have your like you know your friends that aren't super into designer board games, it feels pretty cool, because they're pitting gladiators against each other, or they're going to be, like, running markets and then selling to the other players on their, you know, on their terms and things like that. So it's a pretty fun game. Definitely say if you know somebody that has this, ask them to break it off for you and take a look at what it offers. Awesome. Yeah, I think for me, acquisition disorder-wise, I'm still just looking at the pile I have and jonesing for one of those, you know? <laughs> you feel like you're in a store that's in your own house. You're yeah, like, Ooh, exactly. I want this. <laughs> I've been taking rule books with me to work, just reading them on the bus. <laughs> Which doesn't really work very well, because then I get home, I'm like, I don't remember what I read. <laughs> Went through the Robinson Crusoe book twice, I think, before I was like, I don't know. Where's no. the video? <laughs> So eventually, I'm going to bring in a pile of games. I'm like, I've learned to play these. Boom. <laughs> Let's do it. But in terms of buying new games, yeah, I'm trying not even to look what's coming out because it's, it's painful. <laughs> it's too much. It's too much stuff. Yeah, we had a lot of nice reviews this week and got to play a good diversity of games. So, you know, Christmas was good to a lot of people. 
and uh, even the Kickstarter started to come in too. So it was really kind of like a really bountiful time of playing a lot of different variety of games. Yeah, this seems like catch-up time. Absolutely. Yeah, it's my first full year of board gaming. Apparently, the beginning of the year will be catch-up time. Yeah. So that's one of your, your resolutions for 2014 to play the games I have. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Speaking yeah. of which, I got a question for you guys. Like. I heard now a lot of gamers, their New Year's resolution is to play more of what they have and to focus on the new less. Are you guys on that, or...? My wallet is. I don't know. <laughs> In theory, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I want to... I don't want to go one way or the other. I do want to try to split up, like, half the month, though. Yeah. You know, like, because, you know, for example, we got to play Game of Thrones card game again. That was cool. You know, and that was fun. And I love that game. Like, every time we break it out, I'm like, man, we got to play this more. And then we don't play it for, like, two or three months. So I want to kind of, like, split up a little more. Because I always go, like, oh, yeah, you know, like, uh, I'm, you know, I don't really need to pick up new things. And then, like, I already broke my embargo of one game a month. I got Spartacus. I got Pixel Tactics. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> you know, it's, it's not, that's not, that's not good. <laughs> it's those daily deals that get you. Yeah, pretty much. Or, like, cheap games. Like, you know, like, Pixel Tactics is 15 bucks. And it has that classic 8-bitness game look. And I'm like, well, you know, $15. Why not? Yeah. There have been a few I've, like, seen just on sale or whatever. I'm trying not to, you know. Fortunately, I just look at work, and I'm like, well, I don't really want to use my credit card on my work computer. So. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's bad when you have to put up, like, site blockers for, like, you know, your, like, uh, Minimarket and everything else on your phone. Like, just so you can't <laughs> access <laughs> Yeah, I think that what I'm looking for for, the, for this upcoming year is trying to find, like, the game like my game like the game that I really love I mean I have a whole bunch of different games and got to play a lot of games especially coming to Myriad here but I haven't found the game that's like that's my game like that's the go-to game you know something I'm always looking to play um, obviously Agricola has been one of those mainstays Seven Wonders has been a mainstay Game of Thrones a card game we always look to play but I really haven't come across that game where it just has all the elements that I'm looking for the theme that I'm looking for and it's just kind of the game, like, you know, we talk about the Grail games, like the game that's just, it's your game, and you really want to have everything kind of upgrade to the top kind of piece quality and component quality that you can. Yeah. Um, so playing through a couple of games, trying to see what really kind of works for me, and hopefully in the future be able to kind of lock down that game and kind of really delve into it a little bit more. Yeah, man, I totally agree. I wish I had, like... I have all these games at home, and none of them just, like, jump out as, like, the one I want to bring every time. I bring the Duke every week now, but sure. I don't think I play it every week. It's just, like, if I have 20 minutes, who wants to play the Duke? So I want to, like, I, I keep thinking a game like Civilization or one of these two-player games, the big ones like War of the Ring or Twilight Struggle could become like that, but those are tough. So, sure. So we'll see. Uh, I want, yeah, like, Earl has two. Yeah. How does he have two? <laughs> you know. He's just that good. Yeah, and he gets I people to play him. I got one, Lords of Waterdeep. You do have one, and that is... I love it. I, will, I bring it every time, and anytime somebody's like, I want to play it, I'm like, yes. Yeah. And uh, on a side note, seeing as how you bring the Duke every week, I'll actually try it out today. All right, let's do it. Yeah, because yeah. I've still got to get that game in. Yeah. I love it. I actually have everything for it, too. I want to get, like, a case for all the little tiles. Yeah. And, like, organize them. That'd be That'd cool. Because cool. it's just in a pile right now. Yeah, because that's one thing. Like, I mean, um, for, like, the game the number of players like you know if you yeah. find like your favorite game in the world it's only two players it makes it a little harder where it's like hey what do you guys all want to do oh <laughs> yeah and there's a couple of games I really like and want to get out more but yeah they're two players so it's like eh, I don't like bringing this to the store it's just kind of like all my friends can't play with me yeah I mean like even like Summon Wars even if we did like if you had like three one on one battles going at the same time you kind of even though you're not in the same game you're all like doing the same thing at the same time so it's still yeah. good yeah 
but you know, like when your favorite game is a like two player only and it's four hours. <laughs> yeah, right. I played Twilight Struggle a couple weeks ago with Mike. And I liked that game a lot. That was a lot of fun. But I'm like, he wanted to play again. I'm like, that's a three-hour game. Two people. Uh, <laughs> this is hard to want to do. Here, like at home, maybe sure, but yeah. But yeah, no, I'm with you. That's that's a good resolution. And if it's not in my collection, we'll find one. But hopefully soon. Battle Lore looks good. Yeah, I can't wait to start playing that one, man. That looks awesome. And that's one thing about playing these games is you find elements that you like in each game, and then hopefully there's a game that kind of puts those things together has a theme and kind of competitiveness that you're looking for. And if it doesn't, just pick up a piece of oak tag, try to start working on your own thing or something, you know? Yeah, right. Let's do it. <laughs> sure. All right. So, all right. Uh, obviously, there's not a ton that we want because we have so many that we already want to play. So let's jump into the laundry list of games we have played. At the table this week. So I jumped back into Quarries again. I remember that we got the app. And I was playing the app, and I was like, wow, this is really fun, but I really want to play the game. Like, I really want to roll those dice. So I broke it out, and it made Dan play with me. Yeah, I mean, um, we got to, you know, we played it again. Uh, a friend of our, George, wanted to learn how to play the game, so we broke it out for him, too. Uh, Chris, we played two games that night. We played, like, two or three games at home. The game, I mean, it's still fun. It gets ragged on a lot for not making choices, but I feel like the Quartifax helps alleviate some of that, and it's just a fun game, you know? Yeah, the Quartifax expansion makes this game. It oh, just yeah. makes it a great game. Otherwise, it's a nice game. It's kind of, you know, simple, but the Quartifax really gives you a lot of diversity, and it's a lot of fun. It's a good at the end of the night game, too, because, you know, exactly. you just got done playing that three-hour Euro game. Your brain is kind of fried. You know, rolling dice, easy concept, you know? So, I mean, I, I still love the game. I think it's a definite... Kim, you like the app for it? Yeah, actually, the app is pretty good. It plays really fast, really quick for an app. It's nice, pretty colorful. It actually shows you the dice rolling, you know, which is kind of cute, so it doesn't really happen automatically. The only thing I think that the game is missing is, like, while you do have to pick your dice to see what's going to defend, you really don't get to see the attack. So when you, when you actually um, summon your dice, your creatures, you don't see the other people defending. It just happens automatically. The only time it pops up on your screen is when you're defending. Did you ever play um, any of the Magic games on Xbox or iPad? Yeah, like 2013. I would love it if they had even like that basic type of animation. Yeah. Where like you know the ogre, you see a, a thunk mm-hmm. or you know claws on an animal, something like that would have been cool. Something. Like even a minor animation. Sure. Which they can always add in. You got to do something. It's a dice game. You're yeah. taking away the tactile part of a dice game, which is fine because you're playing it on the app. But if like, when you rolled your it, dice, you know? if you shook your fingers across the screen or something like that, that yeah. would have been cool. Yeah. Or if you even swipe to take the dice out of the bag to see what you're rolling. That would be cool, too. And that's the one weak thing, if there's anything really weak about Quarriers. It's just a base game. Is The dice are nice, especially the physical dice. But you will see all the colors and things like that. But it's kind of hard to connect the character or the creature or the spell. So why not have some, you know, like I said, an animation or graphic yeah. to kind of pop up when you, when you succeed in, you succeed in um, summoning something great. Like pop a dragon up there, yeah. you know. This is what the apps are for, to kind of give a little more flavor to it. Definitely, yeah. So, Kim, do you think that, you know, playing it a couple times now is going to bring it back to the table more often? Because I don't think we played that in a long time. Wow, yeah. I don't know. Also, like, when we mention quarters to people, a lot of people don't really take on to it. I think it's the whole um, gamble of the game, where you don't know what your dice rolls are going to be, and if you just keep rolling up quitty, then you're not going to get any points. Yeah, it's kind of like, 
I, I, I know what you're saying. It's like whenever we mention it, people are like, oh, you know, so-and-so. But when it's on the table, we always get four players, and then people are like, oh, man, I wish I knew you were playing Courier's. It's like we just asked you 15 minutes ago. <laughs> I have the exact same feeling, though. Like, if you said right now you want to play Courier's, I'm like, well, what else can we play? But if you put it out, I'd play it. Yeah. I don't know what it is about that game. Like, in my head, it just seems bland. Probably because it's that thing. It's so abstract with the dice. But the game itself, you get to roll all the dice. It's fun. And I think it would be a lot better if you could roll more dice. If you somehow got more dice into your hand, sometimes rolling only, like... Kim's portal technique. Yes. Yeah. Roll your entire bag every turn. <laughs> I love my portals. That's the first thing I get. <laughs> Kim broke the game. Kim broke I the did. game. Like when, really Kim, when Kim goes, you know you have enough time to go front, get a coffee. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> we need a segment on this show. Kim breaks games. Because <laughs> this happens all the time. Well, we all broke the game Masquerade. Yeah. Well, really? <laughs> well no, drinking no, broke yeah. the game Masquerade. <laughs> no, I'm saying... Beer broke that game. <laughs> I'm saying because we got it to where none of us changed cards and we knew each other. Well, that, was the thing. that wasn't breaking the game. That was just nobody caring. Like, <laughs> well, no, it was like... Just... All was playing it wrong. <laughs> I get three, I take two of yours, I'll eventually win. All right, well, now I'm going to finally switch this one card because you're at nine. That's all that <laughs> game was. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if that was the people drinking breaking the game or the people not drinking take advantage of the people who were drinking hey, breaking yeah. the game. I won that game fair and swear, you <laughs> drinkers. <laughs> it's not my fault. <laughs> uh, nobody's blaming you, man. <laughs> uh, that's cool. It's cool when we get something back to the table we haven't played in a while. And you're like, yeah. Oh, yeah, this game is awesome. Because I know about Spirium again today. Ooh, yeah. Yeah, I haven't yeah. played that for a little while either. I'd like to play that, yes. Yeah, because last week we got finally got Game of Thrones card game back to the table. Yeah, and, it's, and that's another one, too. Like, we love that game. It's a lengthy game, so sometimes yeah. we're a little hesitant. Who won? Anthony did. Yeah. House Targaryen. House Targaryen always wins. It was actually a pretty good game, and it was exactly the same as every other game we've played, except we switched the roles around. <laughs> Stark went out to a huge lead. I was this close to victory. Had to play Valor Morg- Morgulis, killed all no, his no, own no, guys. No, 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 Go back. Was going to win the game. Oh, yeah. <laughs> had, had the military victory to score... Played a card that gave me an additional power, and the bro so Rathians took you down. On <laughs> What's up, bro? <laughs> I, I was playing. Come Bar- at me, bro. I was playing the Baratheons, but I played them like they were House Lannister, so I was all doing <laughs> sneaky, deceitful stuff. That's not how that deck works, man. Yeah, I know. It's, trust me, I know. Yeah. <laughs> it was going to be a really rough game. Like I think you were going to steal three of my power. I only had four, so I was going to have one, and you were going to win the game. So I was very sad, but then. Dan threw those like three blocks yeah. at you. I uh, I threw out a card that swapped your uh, current plot, and not only did it make it where you were going to get less on that turn, but next turn you had to play the Valor Morghulis. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's, <laughs> I mean, it was, it was fun and it was good, but it's also like, you know, like you said, like every time you play that game, you get the same feeling where it's like, I'm winning, I'm winning. I hate you people. Stop <laughs> doing this to me. And it's the Starks every time, because they can get so many people out. But none of them have intrigue, and then eventually it just it comes back to bite you. I don't know if that card is great in the game. I think if you save it, it's bad. Because then you have a certain number of rounds to win, and if you don't it just, do it, it's not. It just has an ability to kind of, re- to kind of restart the game from the beginning uh-huh. and a lot, for everybody. I, I also think it's a, a chance for you to, like, the Valor Ghouls feels like it's a good chance to, in the beginning of the game, ramp up your hand. Let people take a little bit of advantage. Let them drop out their guys to start running away. Then you wipe the field, and that's when you just drop 
all your cheap Starks, a couple of wolves, and you start to control it. Yeah, because the second time you used it, after we'd cleared the plot decks, that was great, because you had one guy out. Yeah, I, I purposely did that. And we had, like, four or five each. Yeah. yeah. So I think that's how you'd normally use that, like... With the exception of the, the Targaryens have a lot of um, gear. gear that gear or people who take the hit instead of so you you ended up having a couple of characters still left, yeah, and that made it a little bit harder too. So I mean it's it's a nicely balanced game as far as everyone has a different feel and plays very differently, so it's really nice for that aspect of it. Just as far as a um, game length thing, you know, being able to kind of like almost clear the board a couple of times does add a little time to the game. That, yeah, it was probably an extra 45 minutes. Yeah, we're going to have to find a day where, like, you know, like get some pizza or some Chinese food or something and start making our own decks because that'll change a lot, too. Like, the stark weakness of not having intrigue, you might start finding some cards that help you at least get around that. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, so that was fun. That was that <laughs> was the entire Sunday for me. I know, that was But like, it was totally worth it. Yeah, it was definitely it's been a while. Yeah. <laughs> so all these other new games that you guys played, I did not get to join in on because we played Game of Thrones, but... Well, one game you did get to play a little while back was Las Vegas. Oh, yeah. And that was a kind of a brand new game. Uh, our friend Drew broke that out. And it's a very simple game. Yeah. I mean, it's there's, what are there, six casinos? Yeah, there's little six casino kind of um, marquees. And each of the marquees has a different die number. So it's from one through six. And then each player gets a hand of colored dice that are D6s. And on each turn, what you do is you roll the dice... And based upon what numbers are showing on there, you'll be able to place the dice on the different casinos. The game actually starts with you um, flipping over money. So there'll be different money values at, at each casino. So obviously you want to get the highest money possible. And if it kind of goes over, there'll be actually be a secondary prize. So when you're rolling your dice, you want to hit the high numbers. But at the same time, you got to be a little bit careful because other people will be able to block you. And if you have the same number of die on a casino, nobody wins that. And let's say I have three ones, you have three ones, and then someone has one one in there, they can win the money because we blocked each other out. So, Yeah, it was fun. And it's it's one of those games where you could totally pile on all your dice and guarantee a spot, but then you only get the one spot. It's true. Or you could spread it out a little bit, let other people fight over it, and pull two or three spots, smaller prizes. Yeah, so if you, if you happen to have a roll where it has multiples, let's say multiples of twos, you have and you want to place twos, you have to place all the twos. So you have to kind of gauge, do I want to really lock something down and put a lot of dice on something, or I just want to put one die and then hopefully later get more multiples of those dies. Yeah, definitely. And it's one of those things that, um, I mean, how long did the game take? Like 20 minutes? Yeah, not even. Super it was fast. a super fast game. It's, it's, it's like, it's a press your luck game, it's a dice game, but it has a couple elements, almost a board feel to it. Sure. So it's, somehow they took that press your luck element, turned it into almost a board game, and it's, you know, it's a lot more fun that way. Yeah, you so. could pretty much even throw this in, like, a little bag and kind of play really quick and simple with that. Yeah. It almost doesn't even need a box. Yeah, which probably just wraps the price up a little bit. Yeah, a little bit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Look at this giant box. There's some dice in it. <laughs> but it's a fun game, and it's definitely a play. And actually, if you can get this at a good price, buy this. This is something you can play with family and friends. There really is no learning curve on this. Roll your dice. See where they go, win the most money, and it was it three, four rounds? Quarters of cash. Three rounds. Three rounds. Yeah. yeah, I had a lot of fun with it. I didn't think I would. I don't usually like gambling type games. Sure. Even if you're just simulating gambling, it's not just I don't like casinos. It's not my thing. But yeah. 
it's not that's not really what it is it's not and it's not super drawn out or ex- extended it's doesn't have a ton of extra components yeah, or elements to it and so. the theme itself is just kind of pasted on there really isn't anything it could be anything this could, could be, be anything yeah you're just controlling an area and you're getting the points from that yeah. area yeah it could be an area control it could be fantasy themed it could sure. be anything so yeah that was a lot of fun too yeah and how and what you think about um, another game we got to play uh, studying emerald yeah, this was interesting. Um, our buddy Mike brought this in a couple weeks ago, and this was actually a game that I almost kickstarted back in May. I saw it like right when I was looking at all these things to kickstart. I think it was like right when I was kickstarting Canterbury. I saw this on in the, um, the recommended bar on the side. Yeah, um, Cool Stuff had it as an exclusive thing through their site too that you can order, and I had it in the cart. But when you mentioned that one of our friends already had it, I was like, all right, I'll just save it for later. And based on what you said, it kind of sounds like I dodged a bullet. Yeah, I don't know if it's a bullet so much. Um, it's an interesting game. Um, like, the background of it is it's Sherlock Holmes meets Cthulhu. Uh, it's a deck-building area control game. So it's basically almost every element of this game is a crossover between two elements. <laughs> like, the components are a crossover, the mechanics are, the theme is. It's like a Frankenstein. Yeah, it's a Frankenstein <laughs> game, right? And if you look at the board, you'll see why. Um <laughs> But the thing that caught me, and I think this is what caught Mike too, is that it, uh, it's based on a short story by Neil Gaiman, which I read, and it's a good story. It's like this kind of twisty, turny Sherlock Holmes story. Um, but the theme is it's almost a little tacked on. Uh, yeah. It's a Martin Wallace game too, so you know at first you think you know oh, it's got a good pedigree, but the game just almost feels like it wasn't fully play tested. Um, and you know there's a small chance we might have missed a couple things here and there. We were learning how to play as we went, but I really don't think so. I think it's missing a couple key components. Uh, the basic idea being that there's two factions. You have the Restorationists and the Loyalists. One side is for the uh, the royalty, which happens to be the old gods, and the other side is against them, but everybody's secret. And this is the part where it kind of gets a little wonky. Um, you. There's however many players there are, some of you are going to be loyalists, some are going to be restorationists, and you're going to be working on, you know, with each other, but you don't know who anybody is. It's hidden roles. But as you play, like half your actions kind of reveal who you are. Like you can kill an old god, you can kill a royalty. If you kill royalty and you're not a restorationist, it's kind of a dumb move because the points you get from it don't really count at the end of the game. Yeah, so... And you're just mess... All you're going to do is throw off the people who are on your team and they're going to try to attack you, which is even stupider. Because <laughs> <laughs> um, the scoring, how it works, it's a little weird, but there's a victory point track and once it hits a certain point based on how many players there are, the game ends. And there's a couple other tracks too, like the Restorationist track or the Loyalist track, if that hits the end, game over. Um, but if you happen to... Uh, be in first place by like 20 points but the other member of your team is in last place you lose yeah because you go by the lowest scoring of your team yeah which is that's what's really crazy about the game like you were saying the victory point track when it hits a certain point ends the game there's a war track and a revolutionary track those could end the game if a revolutionary is killed off which is one of the things you can do in the game that ends the game so this game is going to end it's going to end quickly and there really is very little. There's very little to be able to hide your um, your allegiance here. Yeah. So I mean, you're either capturing a certain area to score points, um, picking up cards and different things. But once you do either kill or hide the royalty, it's pretty much known what you are, and that happens really, really early in the game. I would say maybe the third turn or so. Yeah. So this game has so much flavor, so much 
promise of a theme and it seems like they try to cram everything in there and maybe game mechanics or game quality didn't really kind of go along with it just because there was so much they wanted to do and how they wanted to impart the story to you that this is more of like a game experience than just a game. Yeah. My opinion of it was, and I enjoyed it a little bit, um, I was kind of annoyed how it ended. And it was just because one of the people at the table made a decision that didn't make a lot of sense. Sure. Um, but there's too many opportunities to do that. The game relies way too much on the players to make certain decisions that the mechanics don't force you to make. I mean, I, I love the idea of the uh, deck building element, which yeah. was nice and clean, and the area control, which was fun. Um, so the, the basic mechanics were smart. It just, for whatever reason, didn't didn't play too well or and obviously i think that this really comes down to the hidden the hidden roles yeah the hidden roles are hard because area control with deck building is cool yeah i like that i, I like, like that, that a lot it makes me really want this game to be better because it's really cool like you're placing down influence on these spaces and moving your agents around to try to take over these cities that then allow you to buy the cards which means not everybody can buy cards from any one spot at any one time but you could fight over them you know it's that's awesome but the game doesn't force you to do it. Like, we bought up all the cities within three rounds. Sure. And everybody was really high on victory points. And then, like, two royalty died and the game was over. Sure. And it doesn't need to be like that. You could get more combative. Um, but the game doesn't force you to. Which, yeah. The big shame of the game, too, is that, you know, Mike, who, as a historian, was kind of, like, looking at all these different characters and kind of telling us their different histories in the real world and how those things might play out. And that was really interesting. Unfortunately, since the game ends so quickly, you really have no time to kind of explore that or kind of build up agents or kind of build up a, a strategy. It's kind of like the game is over before you even know. Yeah. I feel like this could be better if you played, like, say you got three or four people together and you played it four or five times so that everybody kind of got the idea of, like, what you should be doing that the game mechanics don't really have you do. How do you not either hide or kill one of the old ones and not give away your role? I don't know, I mean, it might just be one of those things you just don't do as much, and it would drag the game out, because that's where you get most of the victory points. Sure. But, like, maybe you're running up those other tracks, maybe you try to throw people off your trail a little bit, maybe you're more combative. Like, I was, if he hadn't killed Mike, yeah. if Sean hadn't killed Mike and ended the game, I would have ended the game on my next turn, because I almost had enough victory points. Because nobody was stopping me from taking over all these cities. Like, But that's the other part, too. If you look at the game board you actually have to travel between the cities. And that takes cards to be able to do that too. So you have to discard cards to move through the cities. It's not as bad as um, Bioshock Infinite to be able to move, but still it does take a little bit of time. And once somebody either kills or hides a royalty, the game really is it's now on. You have to do something. You have to move quickly. That's true, yeah. Um, th there is an interesting component there, and I don't know how this would play out over time, but when you kill a royalty, even if you are a loyalist, you get the victory points on the track sure. for the sake of ending the game. So let's say you know that uh, your teammate is not in last place. And you're like, all right, if I kill this royalty, I will end the game right now. And that, that helps me. That's such a weird mechanic, though. I mean, there's so much good about this game that just the mechanic of ending the game at the right time doesn't seem to really fit. Now, if there was some mythos behind it, like you had to get to the portal, you know, at the strike of 12 and only at that moment, then I can kind of understand, but it doesn't really make sense to me at least the, the first through playthrough. I was going to say, just like, I mean, based on the fact that you might have to attack your own side to end the game just to end it at the right time, that sounds like the worst thing in the world. Like, 
Never hear of a bodyguard going, man, if I shoot the CEO right now, <laughs> my pension will be at an all-time high. Like, that's... Yeah, I don't think it's it built sounds, into the game. I just think it's allowed. Yeah, uh, but, I mean, it, it's absurd that it's like, oh, I've dedicated my life to protecting these people. Ooh, victory points. Bam. I <laughs> <laughs> can't tell the, you how many times that's happened. Yeah, it's, it's just... <laughs> it's, this is one of the weird things about the game to me is that the theme has been... It, it feels like he took... And I think Mike told us this, actually. He built a game about you know, revolutionaries and counter-revolutionaries in Europe, and then he's like, well, this is kind of boring, and then he found this story and put the theme over it. Cthulhu, yay! But, see, that's the thing, it's like, I mean, how much does the theme count for if you're trying to build a story into something, and then you can completely go against the story to end it to win it? Yeah, and I think part of the problem, too, is that the story that they built this around is a mystery. It's, It's a Sherlock Holmes story. You're trying to find out, so that's why the hidden roles are there, because you're trying to figure out who's who, and yeah, but, I mean, everybody's wearing a disguise, and everybody's going against... But then that doesn't play through all the way, because that becomes how you end the game. I don't know. It's Like, if you played cards secretly and mixed them up into a pool to see what actions happen that turn, then yeah, that would be people are working in secrecy. Yeah, like Battlestar. But when you're like, I'm going here, and I'm killing this person, that means you are obviously doing this. So it's... Yeah. It... It sounds like it just missed a few of the marks. I thought if they could, when you either hide the royalty or kill the loyalty, royalty, if they if that card could kind of be hidden, so like face down, you place it on top of that city, so you won't know until the end of the game what you did there. That might play a little bit better. Yeah, it honestly feels like something where if they play tested it more, this stuff would have come out. And it went straight to Kickstarter. This didn't go through a major sure. publisher. Um, like you said, it was only available on cool stuff because it's not like one of those Queen Games Kickstarters where like we need twenty k and we're gonna print a thousand copies. Yeah, it was. This is what we're printing. That's it because it's a Kickstarter. Um, and then on top of all of that, it's eighty bucks. Yeah, yeah that that's, was the. Other, that's like that's why I say I feel like I dodged a bullet. I mean, I don't, I don't think I would want to toss out that much on a game where it has a couple of things that are a little wonky and you have to play it half a dozen times to really get into it. Yeah, and the components are not worth 80 bucks. No, not This at is all. not Caverna. This is... Yeah, it's not, a, it's not Caverna. It's not Terra Mystica. It's, it's not... It's it's basically a deck builder with a board and some wood components. It's it's not... You know, it should be a 40 or $50 game. And I understand like that it's... Like was like like 60 bucks or something. Yeah, that would be fine. You know, um, I don't know that I would buy it necessarily, but I would be okay with it costing 60 any, I mean, the reason why we were attracted to this game, myself included, was Neil Gaiman. Yeah. So the story's great. The story's not part of the game, necessarily. So you're not reading... It's not like you're playing Arabian Nights where you're getting to read pieces of his dialogue. And you're like, wow, I got to read another piece. That was really interesting. The writing's really good. It's kind of carrying me through the story. It really doesn't have any of that kind of work to it. Yeah, there's nothing there. It's the board is and the board is a mess. <laughs> yeah, the, 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 the graphic design on this board is just once again. I think the game is like they really love the story and they threw everything they could at the board, everything they could at the game as far as components and mechanics, and it's just it's blinding. It's just it's covered, yeah. which is I guess part of it. Like hey, look, there's tentacles everywhere, but it's oh my god, I don't know what I'm supposed to be doing because there's tentacles everywhere. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and the whole idea of like the, the idea behind it is awesome, you know, Cthulhu and the old gods taking over these different cities, but um, yeah, like you said, execution. Yeah, absolutely. I don't know if I'd play it again if it came out. I think so, just because it didn't take very long, and I want to see if things played out differently in a different setting. I would play it again just to see if it, if somehow there was a little more strategy to it, but my assumption is there isn't. Yeah. So I think other than maybe one more playthrough, unless things just 
radically change, then I'm going to kind of go for a dodge on that. Yeah. Yeah, I tend to agree. Uh, one other quick game that we did get to check out recently was Euphoria. Now, we got to check out that awesome Kickstarter edition where, I, I will say without a doubt, the Kickstarter edition that game had the most ridiculous components I've ever seen in my life. Like, the little stamped gold bars, the bricks are textured. The components were unbelievable. The game, I don't know, I mean, I'm willing to play it again to try again. I felt like the game was a little lacking, though. Hmm. It has some cool concepts. Like, you know, it's a Euphoria, it's a dystopian future. During your turn, you're rolling all of your dice, which are your workers, and you're generating a number. And based on the amount of knowledge that your people have, if you break this number, one, you'll lose one of your workers. It's like they realize, hey, this is terrible, and they, they go away. All right, that's fine, whatever. The only thing is, um, your goal is to get, like, ten victory points, and you have to go to get resources to use those resources to go digging to get other resources that you have to get to use to build a building. So it's like you're getting A to get B, then you're getting B to go to C. Now, the thing is this. When you have those resources, you're putting one of your worker dice on a lockdown on that spot on the board towards contributing towards building this building. No matter how many resources you put in towards that building, you still only get the one point of towards victory. So other people can just go, all right, well, I don't want to see that building built. I'm not going to help you. And you're either going to have to dedicate more of your turns to that to finally get to that point where it's built. And when the buildings get made, they don't accelerate the game for you. They decelerate the game for everyone else. It'll be like, oh, okay, every time you roll a three, you're going to lose a worker. Every time you, you know, if you would get more than two food, you'll only get to, like, it's all these setbacks that the only way that the player can stop suffering the setback is to contribute towards the building. So it just, it seems like, it's not you're ever ramping towards something. It just seems like you're constantly, like, you know, like kicking the feet out from the other, other players. Mm-hmm. It, it felt like a long game, and it didn't really feel dystopian. Like I said, the components are amazing. You know, the workers are cool. I like the concept of, like, oh, when your workers gain knowledge, you lose one. But you can just, like, kind of, like, you know, like keep lo- workers locked on the board to avoid that number. And, like, the resources, you know, like, the more workers there are on something, the more resources you get, which is cool. And there's, like, roll cards that give you special bonuses. So I like that feel, but I didn't feel like it was a dystopian world. Like, and the fact, like I said, that the buildings just set back other players until they contribute towards it just kind of felt like, all right, you know, you're screwed for the next four turns until you give a brick or, you know, you give these resources towards this. So it kind of didn't really, like, carry through on that feel to me. But, I mean, I'm willing to give it a try again. People, a lot of people seem to like the game. I didn't really get that vibe, but... Hmm. It's tough, man. It looks so pretty. Yeah, I, like, Kim, like, when you were playing it, did you... I had no clue what was going on. <laughs> but, I, mean, I jumped in, like, Yeah, you jumped in, in mid-game, which was bad. All right, so it's like, I mean, you know, you were contributing, you were building stuff, you were getting resources, you were going on excavations. But did it feel awesome, or did you just feel like you were doing it because it was your turn? Yeah. I felt like it was doing my turn. Just it, it, the theme. The theme didn't really go too well with the gameplay. I think. Like, I don't know. I didn't get it from it. Yeah, it's. I don't know. Like it, it's. I wish there was events or something that happened in the game, or you know, like you can't really do anything to your rivals. 
So it's like, you know, it's like, oh, I'm going to control the world. Like, you know, like, how are you going to crush me? Well, I won't directly. I'm just going to let you know I'm going to get it. <laughs> what, what was good about the game was obviously having the dice as your workers. So if you did have a lot of dice and you, you did get a lot of workers together and they rolled too high, you did lose one. That was interesting. To get additional dice, you had a power or water. That was kind of interesting. The components were good. But as Dan was saying, what's really funny about the game is this this... this sad dystopian future where everything is you know resources are rare and you know and you have these great components it's like wow this game is really rich and i feel like you know i got these really great things and it doesn't really follow through um the buildings themselves once you built the buildings that really crushed everybody else in the game if you didn't contribute to building the buildings like it would just like hey you can't use this whole area or you can't use your special abilities and and, and that was and it was basically just a case of like one if we're in a four player game once you saw two other people do something towards that building you're like all right well now I have to do it too so it's it's not like you felt like you were doing it to avoid something you were just feeling like you were doing it because you're like all right well I don't get screwed every time I roll a three so I guess I'll do it and as Dan was saying it really is a very direct tra- um, transition from resource A to resource B to resource C. There was really no branching paths. You did have to have, I think it was the energy and the water in order yeah. to get the, to get the stone. And and the other thing too is like, the, two of the resources are food and water, but you never have to feed your workers or supply them with anything. So it's like, I guess in the dystopian future, people just stopped eating and drinking. <laughs> you know, it's like, you'll use it for actions on the board. Like, I have to use up an orange to go drilling in this cave, but my people don't eat, okay? Like it, it's it was weird. Yeah, it's 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 worth another playthrough just to see if there's anything at all different there. That's what, yeah, I want to try it one more time just to see like did we miss like did we miss something or was it? I don't know. It's a really good looking game. It's definitely something to kind of you know sit down and get a, a playthrough. But yeah, I mean, I want to hold those bricks and gold bars one more time. Yeah, <laughs> and I think the other thing too was the um, the cards you get for the people who are going to be working with you. It would be nice if you had a handful of those. So you could really feel like the people's plight or their abilities. They're kind of funny. They're or kind of interesting. Trade yeah, trade people would be awesome too. You know, it's like, hey man, you know, I'll give you another one. Of, you know, you got a couple of underdollars. I'll trade you my underdollar for your sky guy or whatever. Sure. Like, mm-hmm. so definitely check this out. Probably not a keeper, but definitely worth it. If nothing else, to be able to play with those great components. Definitely cool. Yeah, I mean, like, and also like anyone who's it. I mean, if you played this game and you like it, like, let me know what I'm missing. Like, is it? Am I just like am I looking for a theme that I'm trying too hard for, or is it, you know, is it is it deeper than I'm giving credit for? Like I don't know. I just feel like I'm missing a little something on it. Oh, and um, the one last thing that we did get in last weekend was Kim was feeling like you know Kim was a little under. She was like feeling a little tired, so we wanted to play something light. So we played Once Upon a Time. It's basically a storytelling game where you know you get like characters and actions and all these things. And the way that it works is, when somebody's telling the story, you can interrupt by playing an interrupt card matching, like, one of those things, like an object or, like, an area or whatever, or if they say the exact word on your card. So if you have the person that's a prince and somebody says, like, Prince so-and-so, you can be like, you mean this prince? And play the card, and you take over the story. But (laughs) here's, here's where it gets bad. You know, because, oh, look, it's a nice storytelling game. But the people I was playing it with 
it they made it into Cards Against Humanity. No, we made it into the most competitive card game ever. Because <laughs> no. we were trying to railroad <laughs> stories. Like, we wanted to win a storytelling <laughs> game, which is not how you should do this ever. <laughs> I think the funny part of the game is that as, as Kim's trying to give the story, part of the game is you need to jump in on someone else's story. So it's not like this delicate kind of like, oh, and then they, you know, they were walking down the road and they came across a cabin. And then Dan picks up the story. Yeah, like, I'll, like, like I would have the card, like, wood or something. I'll be like, what was the cabin made of? And it's like, it's a wood cabin. Oh, wood, you mean? And, it's like, and then, you know, you start, and you're trying to find the most absurd things to put in your story so no one else can interrupt. And again, that's not at all how you should be playing this. <laughs> but it's also the cards, too, because not, the cards don't always work together, either. That's part of the fun yeah, of it. Yeah, and, and uh, well, the one thing I also loved is that Kim noted how it was a dark and stormy night, but I had the night card as in somebody running around with a sword and shield. And I'm like, she said night! And they're like, no, she didn't no, say it's that. <laughs> I said, I was talking about oh, the yeah, night, yeah, the, yeah, the goofy night, and I played was... the dark night. Yeah. And I was like, no, she said night. And they're like, no, no she said night with a K. I'm like, I didn't hear no K. <laughs> I get to play. The K was silent. We actually called for like a rules judge on Once Upon a Time, which is also ridiculous. <laughs> but um, my favorite thing in this game is besides expansions, they have blank cards. Oh, no. Oh, yes. <laughs> so we started filling out people we knew, things that we know that they did and stuff like that. So we just started making maniac stories. And the best is your story is supposed to end with like a, it's like and they lived happily ever after, or like another card will be like, you know, it's like and uh, she never forgot the lesson learned until the end, like at the end of her days. We made all of our endings messed up, like you know, and like you know, and they never looked each other in the eyes. Again. <laughs> it's, it's like that, and that's why you don't take candy from strangers. So like, so all of our stories. You knew yet that somebody had one of our endings when they started cracking up before they can even tell you the lesson learned. <laughs> so. But you still had the fairy tale cards in your hand too, so it played oddly. I mean, <laughs> and like you know, like one of the objects was like you no, know, like we made like a flamethrower, and the description is that's right, a freaking flamethrower. <laughs> so and it was, I mean, that any game that lets you do your own cards like that, oh, so much fun. Poor Rob, that was his copy too. She was fine with it though. <laughs> we were like, do you mind if we had him? He's like, go ahead, shuffle him in. Why not? We're like, all right. <laughs> so we kept the rule of we couldn't have any profanity since it's his game. And nothing, like, too disturbing, but it was still pretty good. <laughs> That's awesome. Now, I'm sure there's a way that you play this game that it plays. Um, I don't know, because we played it a couple of times. Well, I think the goal of the game is to not win, <laughs> which we couldn't understand. <laughs> but the other thing is, too, you could get, you know, almost like a trick-taking game, you could get a hand of, like, really just odd, bad cards, and then the story's going. Because there were some times that some of us just weren't saying anything because... There was no way to jump in with the, the cards that we had in our hands. And you're just kind of sitting there waiting for something to happen until you finally just break and just throw something crazy in there. But what was fun, though, was that you can ask questions during the story. To so, like, it. Yeah. You know, like, uh, so, like, you know, like, I had a card, like, wall, and Kim's saying a story about how two people were fighting and somebody threw somebody. And, like, I'm like, did he trip? And she's like, sure, he tripped. I'm like, did he stumble? And she's like, yeah, he stumbled. What did he hit against? He banged his head against the wall. I'm like, oh, you mean the wall? And, like, <laughs> and it's like, so that, and we were like asking people questions that didn't really make sense for the story. Remember the stairs? Yeah, stair, and my, my, the stairs. And my other favorite was one of the cards that we made was our friend Earl. So I'm like, how does that song go again? Duke, Duke, Duke of something? It's like Duke of Earl. I'm like, that's right. 
<laughs> so I mean, we there's only like two rules in the game where it's like the story has to make sense and you're supposed to like have fun. We pretty much broke both of those. <laughs> we took it as in sense is optional and be as competitive as humanly possible. I love how this segment started with Kim just wanted something nice and right. <laughs> yeah, nice and light. Yeah. And then we destroyed it totally. I don't know if it was competitive. I just, I just think a part of it like I want to play and or I want it to end. Because <laughs> I'm sitting here with a hand of cards going alright. It's not going anywhere. I want to play a card. <laughs> You're like I got cave and a horse. How does this work? <laughs> That's awesome. But, but I knew I knew we did something bad when afterwards I asked Kevin, I'm like, hey, do you think we should just pick this up? And she's like, no, that's all right. <laughs> that's awesome. Now, Chris, I mentioned that, you know, one of the stories, we had to have both a cave and a horse in it somehow. <laughs> Speaking of caves and animals, what is the game that we're going to look into this week? Well, I'm glad you mentioned that, Dan. That <laughs> game would have to be Caverna. And that's our feature review for today. And now for the feature review... I remember when I first got into hobby board gaming and I, I stumbled across Board Game Geek, one of the first games that popped out to me on their top 100 list was Agricola. So getting into the hobby, you do want to play the best games that are out there, and Agricola was in the top five all the time. Now Agricola is designed by Uwe Rosenberg, who has a long pedigree of outstanding games. So when I clicked on this to find out a little bit more about it, I was kind of shocked. Agricola? Farming? Okay, I kind of should have learn that from the, the Latin translation, but yeah, I don't know if I want to play a farming game. I mean, in a world of board games where you can be in outer space or you can be fighting in a dungeon, I don't know if farming is really the thing I want to spend my day playing, especially a game that's going to last several hours. But having the opportunity to play it, one of our friends, Earl, who just is kind of like the teacher for games, broke that out. I was able to sit down and really enjoy this really super complex heavy, both in a physical term, but also in a complexity term, game. Um, Agricola is kind of like the worker placement game. So you've probably heard us talk about this before. When you play a worker placement game, you start off with a, a certain number of workers that are usually represented by wooden meeples. In this case, they're represented by wooden circular tokens. And you start off with two, and that'll be your farmers. And they'll go out, and on different spots on the board, they'll place down, and once they place on a spot on the board, on this action board, they'll be able to perform that action. So sometimes they'll be picking up wood, sometimes they'll be plowing a field, but basically you're placing your worker there, then blocks out that space from any other player in the game. So it's a little cutthroat in that kind of indirect way where you placing something down blocks out other players from using it, for at least for that round. As the game goes on, you're building a farm. So you're furnishing the house by building wood to clay to stone rooms. You're also building pastures and fields. Um, you have a number of different animals out there. You're having more family members that allows you to have more actions. In addition, you're actually building fences and you're planting crops and you're able to harvest those crops at the end of the turn. And there's a whole deck of different professions minor improvements and major improvements that really absolutely does give you the feel of being a farmer from that century. It has a lot of high replayability from that deck of cards and there's a number of other deck of cards that you can pick up that adds to the different combinations. Now, you may have heard me say that theme is a really big part of my gaming. I really want to feel the theme when I play the game. And honestly, 
out of all the games I play, Agricola really does have that theme in spades because you really do have that fear of, yeah, I want to score points. Yes, I want to produce um, crops and animals, but I also have to worry about feeding my people, which is this kind of new mechanic at the time where it takes two food for each person that you have. Otherwise, you'll have to take a beggar token, which is minus three. Now, Agricola doesn't have a high victory point scoring, so you have to be really careful where you place, and you have to plan in advance. So when you're playing the first couple of rounds, you have to get an idea either from the cards or from the board, what are you going to do in the later rounds? Are you going to focus on farming? Are you going to bring a lot of animals? Are you going to build houses? In addition, when you finally play towards the end of Agricola, you're going to see the um, scoring track. So on this little pad, they'll have pluses and minuses for different things. And, for example, if you don't occupy all the squares on your board, you're going to get minus victory points. If you don't have certain animals, certain grains and vegetables, you're going to get minus victory points. So this game has a really high intensity of failure while you're playing the game, and you're always kind of on your toes trying to make sure that you have enough of a food engine, at the same time, have enough of victory points. Now, Kim introduced us to Agricola All Creatures Big and Small. Now, this is a two-player, smaller version of Agricola that, instead of having the cards, actually has small tiles which allow let you furnish rooms and gain abilities from those. Now, this is a little bit a different take on Agricola because there isn't that kind of heavy impact about feeding the people because you have a lot more to do and there isn't the great penalties to it. It's a fun game and definitely something to pick up if you're getting into Agricola if you're going to play a two-player game, this is definitely something you should look at. Now, we get to kind of the feature, which is Caverna. Now, this is the, you know, depending on how you take it, it's Agricola 2.0. Um, it's the new, highly advanced kind of Agricola. But really, Caverna is a different game in a lot of respects. Um, first off, let's talk about the game itself. Just like Agricola, all creatures great and small, um, you're going to have tiles. So the tiles in this game replace the cards from Agricola. So you'll actually have a full board laid out in front of you, which will have spots for all the different tiles. So in this way, instead of having the card drafting mechanic for Agricola, you'll actually have an opportunity to purchase any of the buildings that are laid out there for you. So you have about 48 different tiles there, and each of them benefit you. Now, the difference here is where Agricola, it's life and death. With Caverna, you do have a lot more flexibility and you can play the game a lot more like how you'd want to play the game. So if you want to focus on a food engine and score points that way, you can do that. If it's ore, if it's rupees, if it's animals, however you well you want to play, you can do that. So when you look at your, ho your home board, basically you're going to look at a board that's split in half. Half of the board is going to have a cavern which you're going to dig out as time goes on, and the other half is going to have a forest, which you're going to clear out. So first, let's talk about forest. The forest needs to be clean, cleared out in order to score victory points. If you don't clear out the forest completely for every spot, you're going to lose victory points. One of the major ways you can do this, and it's a huge board, and I highly recommend you taking a look at Board Game Geek to see this board because it has so many different opportunities to do so, is on the action boards here, you will place your workers on different spots. Some of the spots allow you to clear the forest away, and by doing so, you'll place a two-section piece 
on the forest area, one part will allow you to build pastures and the other part will allow you to build fields. This is great and it's a different departure from Agricola which only allowed you to do one or the other. Now obviously on the pasture section you can later on, in addition, build fences. Now unlike Agricola where it's kind of like you're, you're kind of hobbling together all the wood that you can in hopes to be able to build this fence that covers your land in order to not lose the victory points, fences are a lot cheaper, a lot easier to come by. And they're also in another additional tile that kind of goes right on top of what you had there originally. So you don't have to deal with all the little wood sticks, which I kind of miss a little bit, but this time building a fenced area actually gets you victory points. So there's actually a reason to kind of go ahead and build those instead of just losing victory points. Now, on the field side, the field side works very similar to how Agricola works. So you're gonna plow your fields, which means you're gonna put down grain, or vegetables, which is still the pumpkins, and they will initially have an additional pumpkin or an additional two grain. That way at the end of each harvest, you'll be able to pull one of those vegetables or grains off there and be able to feed your family or score victory points at the end of the game. In addition to the, to the forest board, there's actually two spots on the board where there's wild boar. So when you build towards those areas, you'll actually be able to pick up that wild boar and either build a stable to keep them there or add them towards your farm in some way. There's also one spot that gives you one food automatically just from building there. So this kind of gives you an idea that this is a lot easier of a transition into the game where food is a lot more plentiful earlier on. Now let's talk about the cave. And I should, get, I should mention a little bit about the actual workers in this game. So where you have your traditional humans in Agricola, you're looking at dwarves. So, and I know that's Kim's favorite, so you have your dwarves actually tunneling through the cave to look for ore and rubies and all these kind of gems. Unlike Agricola, where you have to kind of build your rooms, here you have to dig into the cave. I mean, they're, they're dwarves, of course, that's what they do. So each section has to connect to each other section as you clear it out. So it adds a little more of a strategy element to it than Agricola. In addition to just like how the forest allowed you to pick up some food, the same thing's true about the cavern. You'll be able to pick up one food autom almost automatically by clearing the cave, and then another two food are way in the back. So once again, more of an opportunity to kind of pick up some food earlier. Just like with the fields and the farms, the same thing is true about the caverns. There are different spots on the board where you can place your dwarves to do like drift mining, which gives you a clearing and a passageway or excavation which gives you a choice you can actually have two clearings that allows you to build two rooms instead of one if you build the one space with the the passageway that's usually a really good spot for building uh, ore mines later in the game and then later on even after that ruby mines one of the other additional great parts of this game is dealing with the animals. Now usually in Agricola the rules are very tight as far as where you can place the animals, where you can place large animals, how many animals you can place in a spot. In this game it allows you a lot more diversity of where you can place the animals. So one of the new animals in this game is dogs and dogs can kind of roam anywhere. In addition to that they're actually able to kind of keep an eye on sheep. So if you have just a regular field with nothing on it, you can place a dog there and you can keep an eye on two sheep. Also, one of the other new creatures you get to have is donkeys. And donkeys can actually walk around in the ore mines. So another place to kind of place donkeys to kind of diversify your um, animal background. Now you do lose points if you don't have one of each animal, 
but once again, these aren't as hard to come by as Agricola was. Now let's talk about the rooms. So as you're digging through the cavern and you're placing down ore mines and ruby mines, one of the other possibilities is to be able to furnish a room. So by furnishing a room, you'll be able to look at those 48 different rooms and be able to kind of either build a dwelling, which allows you to have more dwarves, a larger dwarf family to kind of dig out those tunnels, um, green buildings, which allow for more material production, and then yellow buildings, which allow for more food and victory points at the end of the game. Now, one strategy point about this game is, is while you're trying to develop a strategy, take a look at the gold buildings. The gold buildings are going to score you a lot of points at the end of the game, and you really should keep an eye on them to see what's going, what's staying, and what you should be building for. The last game that we played, I just happened to have a lot of stone, and I was keeping an eye on that, that um, stone building, which scored me, I think, 18 points alone for that. That was really great. I played another game where I went almost completely... Um, vegetarian farming. So I had grain, I had I had vegetables, which is my usual strategy, and I was actually able to score additional victory points, which was great because I don't like to kill off the little wooden meeple animals. I feel bad. So this actually allowed me to do something else. We should also mention too that this game has an additional element that Agricola doesn't have. So you can actually go off and quest. So for the exchange of ore in this game, you're able to, for however many ore, if you go to the blacksmithing spot, you're able to upgrade your dwarf with a shield and an axe, and he can actually go questing. Now, this is not that medieval, you know, Dungeons and Dragons type of questing. He's not going to go take down a dragon, although a dragon meeple for this game would be awesome. I would love to breed that. Um, but it's more along the lines of, like, fetch quests. So when you go out questing, depending on the level that you have in the game, you're able to bring back a certain number of, of materials or to be able to have a certain number of actions. So this is a different dynamic to the game, and you could almost completely just go questing throughout the game, and that could be your basic engine for food and materials. Another element to this game, which is really great and different than Agricola, is while you can place down a meeple or your little dwarf disc to kind of hold a spot down, there's also spots on the board where you can actually place your, place your dwarf there and be able to use the section that's already been claimed. And when you, we played, I think we played two games of five-player games, and there's actually two spots for that, so it allows you not to be completely blocked out on some spots. It does cost you some food, but at this point, if you really need those resources, it's a great opportunity to get those. And basically, almost everything in this game gives you resources. So you're looking at wood and stone and rubies. And one thing about rubies, rubies pretty much buy you everything in this game. So if you're able to pick up some rubies, you can do everything from buying resources to skipping your dwarf players around. Uh, it's really a highly valuable resource. A little hard to come by, but it's definitely something you should, you should invest into. Also with this game too, is the harvest section is a little different than Agricola 2. So instead of just having the harvest happen at the end of a certain number of phases, towards the later part of the game, there'll be some random harvests. So you'll have these little tokens that are hidden, and some of them will be harvest, some of them will be question marks, which will tell you different things. So at the end of the game, you're going to be feeding your dwarves a lot more, but the question marks kind of throw a little chance into it. So you could have no harvest that section. You could have an opportunity where just pay one food 
per each dwarf instead of harvest. Or you could have the opposite, which is you skip the field or breeding phase, but you still have to go through the harvest. So it has a lot more diversity to it than Agricola as far as that's concerned, where you're not really sure what's coming. But on the opposite end, all of the different opportunities are in front of you as far as building the different rooms. I guess finally, the last thing I'd like to say is I'd like to thank uh, Remo Williams at Board Game Geek for his Plano solution because once you do open this game, it is really hard to kind of get back. Um, lots of chits, lots of boards, and the meeples are incredible. Um, I'm always one for artwork and graphic design, and I think they did a great job here. The artwork is amazing. It definitely, the boards have that kind of cracked stone look to them. So as you flip the cards over, you really get that sense of it. Um, the pictures show these different dwarf families kind of doing the activities that you're going to be selecting. The building tiles themselves are small, and I guess they have to be for in order for you to fit in your, um, your cavern. But the graphic design is really good on it. It's really easy to read, although you might want to find a, a seating solution where everyone can see the main action board, the building boards, and all the cards in front of you. The meeples are back just like they were before, so you have dogs, and you have cows, and you have wild boar, um, and you have donkeys, and you, you, know, you have sheep, um, and obviously, once again, you still have the traditional grain and uh, vegetable. And in addition, now you have the, you you not only to the, you have stone, but you also have the rubies, which is a really nice shiny little kind of um, I guess plastic kind of piece. And you have uh, ore, which is a nice little black kind of shiny little piece. So this is a really interesting game. It has a lot of complexity to it. We played with a number of different people. Um, almost everyone that we played with liked this better than Agricola. Um, Earl, who taught me Agricola originally and was nice enough to actually read through these rules to kind of teach us this game, still um, liked Agricola better and really felt that the dwarf um, theme was missing a little bit as far as adventuring is concerned. But this game is a better entry as far as worker placements go and a better entry if you're really looking to get into something like Agricola. A lot more diversity, everything's in front of you, and a lot of fun. So that's, Agri so that's Agricola. Agricola, all creatures big and small, and Caverna. Now let's get back to the group and see what they think. All right, somebody get this guy a gator and a towel because that was that was <laughs> that was epic. <laughs> we could probably got like another 20, 30 minutes too. Yeah. Right, this game looks intense. There's so much to talk about this game, and you know, having a podcast is great because you can actually listen along as you look at the different pieces. But if you're not going to pick this up right off the bat, take a look at Board Game Geek because you have to see. The pictures because it you know just talking about it cannot give enough depth and quality to what you're looking at here yeah now one thing i want to just note in the beginning is um you know if this game does interest you you're going to be in dire straits trying to get it right now um it had a very limited first print run um the biggest thing is i see a lot of sites taking pre-orders and even some local stores taking orders now the expected window is between march and april so if this does interest you, get your order in now because it'll probably be a first-come, first-served basis. Mm -hmm. You don't want to miss out on the second wave of these as well. Yeah, it might become one of those Robinson Crusoe situations where if you don't do it early, you might get stuck waiting for a year. Yeah, because, I mean, you'll see it on eBay and, like, you know, Amazon and everything else, like, you know, like for, like, a little bit of a markup, like 20 30 bucks. The downside is you can pay like four hundred and twelve dollars shipping because this box is like a hundred pounds. <laughs> That's true. Yeah. So yeah, you want to get you want to invest in free shipping on this. Yeah, because I've seen a lot of places where like it's like eighteen dollars shipping, twenty dollars shipping, and you know, 
the game is good, but you don't want to drop $170 when you can be getting it for like 80 or 90 based on where you go. So what'd you think, Dan? Um, well, for, I mean, for what it's worth, I did put in one of those pre-orders. I like the game a lot. Um, I was like a Grifter, you know, I played a lot on the iPad and everything. The only downside is I'm not a huge fan of how the cards work. Because if you're playing a four-play game of Agricola, you may not still get great cards. You know, it, it's like there's still a little bit of luck of the draw and everything else. Um, I've heard people argue that doesn't decide the winner, but if there's one spot I can go to where I'm getting nine resources, kind of feel like it does. I mean, maybe if I play a hundred games of Agricola, I'll feel different, but Caverna, I like the fact that all the buildings are laid out. So it's there. If you want it, you can aim for it, and if you don't get it, that's because you didn't go for it. You know, you could if you know, if you're like, oh well I didn't get to go first, you take the first player marker. Oh well I didn't have the stone. Yeah, well you don't have the stone because that's because you wanted to plow the fields instead. So really everything is about how you go for it. You feel like you have a little more control. And one thing this game added over Agricola is that I mean, I always think of it as like uh the twin cast uh effect. Like a lot you know, the games where they let you dupe somebody else's actions. There's spots on the board where you can pay food that'll let you duplicate another area's actions that has an opponent's uh, token. So if Chris ended up, you know, uh, expanding his cavern and getting all this other stuff, and I'm like, oh, man, I, if I just spend the two food, I can do it too. You're not ever totally locked down in this one. So it does give you a little more options. It does give you more variety. The penalties are a little less too. Like, I remember, I think, my first game of Agricola, I got, like, 11 points. I'm like, well, that was fun. I was like, I played for, like, nine hours, I got 11 points. This game, you know, 40 is, like, the low spectrum, because everything is points. You build a fence, points. Oh, you built this room, points. Oh, you did this, points, points. Like, points are everywhere in this game. It almost feels like, um, like, Bruges or sure. Amerigo, where it's like, points, 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 points at the end of the scoring, so. Let's say to Stefan Felda. Yeah, I think like Consult Feld, on this. Yeah, I think like Feld's come up and he's like, "Look, man, you know, you make good games. You got, you people got, can't feel like winners when they get 30. Dude, I got a word for you: points. Yeah, <laughs> you should add that to your game. It's like you know how normally in the past, if you didn't do this, they got negative 30 and they cried. What do you see? You give them five if they do do it. You know, stuff like that. So it's a, it's an okay game. I got I got to try it again. Uh, the first time I played it, I didn't really have too much good of a time. It's. The theme is weird. I don't know why they have dwarves, and it's like our friend Earl said, they're just going shopping. They're not questing. They're not doing these great battles and finding all this loot. They're just going shopping. See, that's the thing. For me, though, like, I don't know. I mean, I, I love fantasy, you know? It's like... Well, that's why, like, if you like, if you just like the fact that a that dwarves are in this, yeah, well, you'll like this game. But the thing is this, like, take, for example, um... You know, like the gold and rubies. You're not like in D and D. Oh, what level are you? Oh, I have a third level warrior. What do you have in loot? Oh, I got a plus five sword and five thousand gold, and I have a castle and a horse made out of rubies and diamonds. And he, you know, and he poops uh, magic wands. Like, like I always feel like in D and D, the loot that people get, like if they're villagers, how do they have sixty gold? You know, it's like you you grow carrots. How are you rich? So I always thought that was absurd. I in this game, I don't think of it like when you're doing the adventuring thing that you're killing dragons and looting their treasure. Because, I mean, you guys only gone for, like, five minutes. That's true. You know, it's not like... If you didn't get to use that piece for three turns, yeah, then I think you should get, like, 12 gold and five rubies. Because that means you're losing actions for a huge payout in the long run. But, 
I think of it as in like where it's like you know the farmer's like, hey, I'll give you one of my sheep if you take care of those orcs, or like you know someone else like, hey, you know, uh, I heard you're looking to build a new room. You know, I'm an architect. I'm not a fighter. You go take care of those bandits. I'll build you a room. You know, you, you gotta like add a little of that on your own. It's just like Agricola where it's like literally the farmers every day, which is kind of live or die. You got to produce and things like this. If there were dwarves, you know, they would still have to live a regular life and they would have to mine and they would have to get rubies and ore and they would, their adventuring would be more, you know, grinding a little bit, like get these resources back for the village in order for your particular family to kind of grow. And man, do dwarves love to eat. Like they in do. this game, you feed so much more often than Agricola, but you get it's faster food engines too, which is sure. nice. And what's good about this game too is, like we talked about earlier, the buildings, the um, or actually in this case, the little small rooms that you'll be furnishing your cavern with. If for some reason you were going one way and you were building towards, let's say you were building towards rubies for victory points, and then somehow someone takes all those kind of resources, you can shift. Agricola does not allow for that, which is a good and bad thing necessarily, depending on how you look at it. So, in Agricola, if you're building to, you know, to have a lot of animals and someone's taking the animals, you're stuck. the The game is over third, fourth round because, yeah. you know, yeah. you lucked out there. I know that, but if you have a decent enough food engine, you can afford to pay the two food because you're paying it yeah. to the bank, not so. another player. So, if someone else is moving in on your territory, you can be like, yeah, I'm, I'm still sticking to my guns. The um. The one thing I would have liked to seen is, I mean, I know they use the weed and pumpkin because they have warehouses full of those things. It's true. Higher than a skyscraper, I'm sure. I would have loved it if it was something a little more like dwarfy, yeah. like you know, like if instead of the wheat, it went straight to beer, like you know, if it was like wheat <laughs> chits and then beer meeples, you know, or something like that. Yeah. And then <laughs> there is a beer room you can pick yeah, up. Yeah, that's beer what room. I'm saying. Like, because yeah. like you know, like you think like dwarves with like you know like huge like stouts of ale, not like. Like, oh, I'm making bread. Or, well, you gotta get the, the grain, right? Too. Yeah, it's, but I'm saying, it's like, I would love to see like that. And, like, you know, I mean, I know, again, the pumpkins. I know there's 80 billion pumpkin people somewhere that they got for a penny a piece, but just something like a little more dwarfy. I don't know what it would be. But, you know. If we look at Agricola's history about producing expansions, Caverna will probably have an expansion probably before the end of the year. Just because Agricola has. like... get it on the shelves by the end of the year. Well, <laughs> true. I mean, Agricola has like a dozen. You yeah. know expansions of so, I'm sure we're going to see stickers for the for the tokens, and I'm sure we're going to see more buildings. And if they made an expansion that has like a new room with a new resource, like even if it was like corn, where you put three of them on top instead sure. of two, like the wheat, that could be awesome. You know, it'll give you a, a new feel, like because the big and small they release expansions, but it's just more rooms and a little more player board. And, you know, they're cheap. They're, like, 15 bucks or something. So, I mean, you don't mind that. I wouldn't mind 30 for an expansion that added, like, a new room board, a couple of new rooms of each type, and then, like, one additional meeple type. Because that would be cool. Because, you know, it's one thing when you're like, oh, now you can do this, now you can do this, but now you get to feel something new, too. Very few games give you that, you know. Yeah. I think with Agricola, it definitely benefits from its expansions, and it does, does bring so much gameplay into it. And really, right now, the way we're playing Agricola, we're always playing with Farmers of the Moor. So you do have these different spots where you actually have to clear down the forest, and there's these additional actions. I would love to see, like what Dan was saying, like an additional resource, maybe an additional board, maybe bringing in all those mythological creatures. Maybe you could raise dragons or griffins or something like that, make, make it a little bit more thematic. Yeah, that would be pretty cool. One other thing, too, is um, the first times you play this game, there's a lot going on. 
I saw this online, I tried it out, and it did help kind of get a better grasp of the game. They said, play one game where you're trying to do as much of the adventuring as possible. Get a feel for how that pans out. Play another game where you don't really adventure at all, where you just stick to base game building and bo uh, boards and such. It does help out a lot with getting an idea of what your options are, because if you do both on your first time, you can get a little overwhelmed. Because I thought I was doing really well because I was getting so many resources, but the fact that it's bonus endgame scoring rooms and I didn't really capitalize on those until the end, I picked up one that netted me like another nine points, but if I focused on that earlier, like we've seen somebody get 20 bonus points off of just one room. Sure. So those could really help a lot. But what's great about the game is there's not one path. Yeah, you you could do the exploration and just go out there and get a lot of resources, and then there's buildings that, if your all your dwarves have weapons, you get a bonus. Plus, yeah. If you go the opposite way and don't explore at all, there's a bon I think it's a prayer room, which if none of your dwarves have weapons, you get a bonus, bonus for that. So it really does allow a lot of different ways to play the game, which I like. I I'd like to actually sit down and play. I just want to mine. That's all I want to do in this game, and I want to have a chance to win and not just kind of like come in with three points. So. No, no, like him, like big and small. Like we played that a few times, and you seem to like that game because it's not like as rough as Agricola. You're not getting like minus thirty-seven points over one bad move. I mean, like with this one, like is this something you kind of want to do a little more of? Do you want to try a little more Caverna for like a larger scale, big and small, or is it not too much your type? I would want to try it again. Like the, I'm actually looking for. Uh the different meeples that they're selling online, where you can actually get cow meeples that are black and white, the steak side, the steak meeples, and the corn meat, the corn. Yeah, Meeple Source has it for like I think like around like twenty bucks or something. Yeah. And it's not bad. You're getting ninety pieces. And I honestly think like with that, like because I ordered the Caverna, I think when it comes, I want to order that, and then I think I'll stop playing it more, just because of the components. Yeah, sometimes, I mean, sometimes that helps a little, too. Like, the one thing I know that we kept having the problem was, like, wait, that's not too what I gave you. That's a wood and a cow. <laughs> yeah, the wood and the cow, I think, even going back to Agricola, it's the same. So close. Exactly same color wood, so easily kind of get mixed up. Like, yeah. hey, here's a quart of wood. Wait a minute, there's a cow in this I, quart of wood. You know, I, I think if you <laughs> Did it seem heavy? I <laughs> think you give Anthony a, a couple of bucks in the bag of cow meeples, you might be able to get some uh, painted cows there. Absolutely. <laughs> keep selling my services, man. Yeah. Get like a commission on this? <laughs> White primer, black paint, dip, 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 cow's done. Spray it. It's not a bad idea. And then you just do, oh man, I was laboring over that whole day. <laughs> so hungry, you should probably buy me lunch. <laughs> Definitely at least one pizza, a couple beers. <laughs> Yeah, I have not played this. Uh, I didn't get a chance to get to the table with you guys this last week. Uh, I've played Agricola a couple times. I haven't gotten over that initial hump that everybody has of yeah. what the hell is this game? I hate it. But <laughs> that doesn't, you know, I'm still willing. It's it's one of those games where I haven't gotten to play it as much as I want to because it's always like you got four hours. And I'm like, no, I, I don't. I remember I mentioned to you on the iPad one time. I'm like, you want to play? And you're like, eh. <laughs> I was like, all right. <laughs> yeah, it's just hasn't really kicked in for me yet and everybody keeps saying you gotta play it three or four times I'm like alright I'll play it again um, do you think I guess I don't know what I don't like about Agricola that whole you lost in the first hour thing and played two more hours that kind of dragged a little so it sounds like this might solve that problem Here, here's the thing like I think for the Caverna you gotta you just gotta like 
be content with playing the worker placement for your first couple times because there is so many rooms. You can look at a room, be like, that's awesome, do two actions, and then you're like, oh, what was that room again? And then you go to look at it, and then you realize your last two actions did nothing to benefit that room or somebody else bought it. You're like, oh, man, I just wasted those turns. So you got to, like, you know, clown around with a little to see what you like and learn how to make an engine or two. And then the game will get deeper. Agricola, I don't feel like you ever really get an engine because everything is like plow one field. Like, you know, you can sow, like, you know, you don't really stack up on weed and vegetables. So like when you sow, you only get two fields and one thing to plant anyway. In this game, when you sow, you can sow four things every time. Mm. Like two vegetables and two weed. So you can cover the field. Or like when you get areas, you're getting two squares instead of just one so at least you feel like okay I spent a couple turns clearing out now I can do stuff as opposed to yeah I spent a couple turns clearing out and now my people are starving oh great and you took the first player marker again and now I'm last and everyone took food tiles cool that's roughly how I feel playing <laughs> I would have liked um, I think it's in Laharv like the loans instead of beggar cards I would have preferred if they put that in this game too because it's just weird, like, you know, like, dwarves are bound by debt, you know? <laughs> well, one of the good things about this, about the game, too, especially dealing with the food situation, is at the bottom of your player board, there's actually a chart that shows what the, you know, what translates into what food or something. So you don't need to have like an purchase oven. an oven in order to do that. So, like, you know, a vegetable translates to two food, a wild boar translates to two food, um, and you can just buy food. You can yeah, just give up gold for Gold foods. translates to food. Ruby translates to food. So you could honestly go into this game, pick a way you want to go, like, hey, I like farming, or I like breeding animals, or I like, you know, um, digging in a cave. And then there is a building that will give you victory points for any type of action that you want to take. And like Dan was saying, you don't get stuck. Agricola, you can get stuck where... At the end of the game, you just you're missing two pieces of wood to build those fences, and it's now you can't do it, yeah. and you're kind of stuck. So, for me, I've played both these games. Agricola, shocking to me, became one of my favorite games very quickly. When someone says you want to play Agricola, I always kind of cringe a little bit because I know it's going to be a time of of great suffering. But when you do finish the game, if you're able to get through it and do well with it, you do really feel like you accomplished something. The board does look like a farm. And the same thing is true about Caverna. When you finish Caverna, it does look like you accomplish something. And because you're able to build more and get more resources, and because the victory points are usually double in this game, it's immense. You get to see, wow, I have all this ore and all these rubies and all these vegetables and a full farm of animals. It's, it's pretty amazing. And it really has a different feel. Now, I heard other reviewers talking about uh, Caverna. Like, if you get Caverna, you know, throw a quick look in the garbage. I don't feel that way. I feel when I want to play a game that's tense and tight, and I feel like when I survive the game, I'm going to play Agricola. Especially because it has so many different decks of cards and so many expansions have already been released for it, that I'm always going to play Agricola. Caverna is a different experience. While it has a lot of the same mechanics, you do be able to produce a lot more. It is a lot more freer action. You don't have that impending doom with it, but you can kind of like play the way you want to play and I think that's what really stands out with Caverna and I know this is going to have 15 different expansions probably by the time it runs through so this game was a buy for me I picked it up I'm really happy I did um, the Plano boxes are a must if you're going to kind of corral all these different um, meeples and um, creatures 
great and small, and uh, Agricola are definitely also buys for me. So pick up all three. If you have to start with one, the, I don't one know. Thing, one thing I got to note, though, is I, it, it's kind of like brass balls in a nutshell, that card that came with this game where it's like, oh, do you like Caverna? Go buy Agricola too. It's like, I just gave you like $100 for this game. Dude, it's I ain't buying nothing. <laughs> it's Uwe, man. He loves you. <laughs> Say, like, but I, I mean, I like that it's, at least it notes now available on iOS. Yeah, I'll give you 7 we, bucks for that game, but I still like that, hey, you just spent all your money for this game that's almost impossible to find. Go play something else now. Like, how do you do that? Awesome. And Agricola does play very well on the iPad too. So. Yeah, but <laughs> but as I was saying, if, if you're going to pick up one game, it's probably going to be Caverna just because it plays with a more diverse group. I think non-gamers can get into this game and not feel crushed if they don't come out with a decent score because you can do so many different things. That, and I feel like um, like when you play just the base game of Agricola, it feels very flat. It does. I feel like you can play the base game as somebody with this, and just because of that adventuring aspect... Like, even if you didn't introduce the rooms, if somebody's first time playing this type of game, you can play without the rooms and still get things done and feel like you're doing stuff. Yeah, worker placement games are basically, no matter what game you're playing it in, is you must think in advance X amount of turns in order to have a shot at winning. Agricola, you have to do that really early, and it has to follow through in order for you to gain victory. Caverna isn't that painful if you have to switch tactics. You can still win. So definitely a better gateway game for people into a heavy kind of worker placement game. Awesome. I'm willing to try this. All right. That's, that's, that's my review. I'm willing to try it. It sounds good. And obviously you guys already all bought it, so I think that's our <laughs> review. Yeah, I, think, yeah. I mean, I, get, I think you'll like it more than Agricola because you're not... In Agricola, you're just like, you know, like, oh, like, I mean, and it sounds funny, but Caverna, I feel like we can't really call it Misery Cave. No. Because yeah. you're not losing out and constantly just sighing when it's your turn. I don't mind like games that get the misery label. Um, it's the length of it. You know, if I'm gonna play a three or four hour game and it just sucks that you know like it's that hard, I'm like, ugh. I, I well, think, like, yeah, I mean, but the, I'm sorry to cut you off, Chris, real quick, but the one thing is when you make that wrong turn on turn six in Agricola and it costs you the game and you know that on turn six. Sure. This game you can, you can skyrocket in points. You can just be like, alright, I'm going crazy on animals. Every animal's a point, and there's no cap. So, yeah, you lost six points, but if you gained 15 for it, you're still plus nine. Sure. You're never going to get bonus 15 points in anything in Agricola. Yeah, Agricola is really a specific taste. And like I said, it really is that bittersweet situation that if you do come through and you do do well in it, you're going to be really happy. It does, it does really have a higher emotional kind of point to it. Like, I survived. My, I fed my people. <laughs> I remember I played a game of Agricola, and... I had another family member. I wasn't sure if I could feed them or not and was able to do so. And I, and I felt like really, you know, like, wow, I really did something here. This is great. Um, so you're not going to get that immense highs and lows with this game. It's kind of like a nice middle kind of vibe throughout. So so definitely pick this up if you can find it or if you can find a dwarf that will be willing to go on a quest for you and pick this up for several several rubies. Um, and if you see someone playing it, jump on them because uh, this is a great game. So what do you think we get a uh, break open the game right now? Yeah, yeah. I mean, you start unpacking it. We'll, we'll go play something else while you set this up. By the time Chris is done setting up the board, uh, we can teach you how to play Tower Mystica. So Sounds good, yeah. All right, so that is everything for this week. This is Anthony. This is Dan. 
This is Kim. And this is Chris. And until next time, we'll save you a seat at the table. All right, let's but, start unpacking. <laughs> but we'll only save you a seat if they give us a ruby. <laughs> <laughs>